Warning! Warning! The following program will offend, annoy, anger, and enrage extremists, hate mongers, conspiracy theorists, Putin lovers, racists, religious zealots, killjoys with no sense of humor, douchebags with no sense of decency, overly sensitive liberals, overly aggressive conservatives, PC watchdogs, alt-right fascists, Tea Party lunatics, and haters of free speech. So, if you fall into one of those categories, turn away, turn away now, phone lines will not be open. Alrighty, welcome moderate, rational thinkers and lovers of free speech and comedy to The Funny Thing About Politics, the show where we try to find humor between the extremes. Now, if the first 30 seconds of this podcast has already pissed you off, then this is not going to be the show for you. So, go back to your alt-fact universe, where Donald Trump not only won the Electoral College, but the popular vote, all 50 states, 26 Grammys, and remains the undisputed hot dog-eating champion of Cleveland, Ohio, 16 years running. But for those of you diligent enough to stick around, let me first introduce my moderately sultry co-host, Fern the Moist Voiced Heart. A little bit more moist voiced than usual, I imagine. A little nervous, huh? I am just a tad bit, no, I'm a lot bit nervous. This is kind of a big deal, but yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I love that intro. That is that is amazing. The undisputed hot dog eating champion. I'm, I'm yeah, just, don't, let, I'm, don't let any fake news libtards convince you otherwise. He is 16 years running the hot dog eating champion of Cleveland, Ohio. I'm trying to get, like, every time things are said, I kind of get pictures in my head, and, I'm, you know, I got that visual, and that's something that I don't think I'll ever be able to bleach out of my brain, man. I'm, I mean, I don't even think hot fondue forks will get that out of my head. Brain bleach. All right, lurking in the shadows, keeping this political garbage scowl afloat, our saintly patient, and I mean that, saintly patient producer, D, the Maven Domestic, D, the producer. What moniker are you going by these days? Uh, it's just D. Just D. But that does make it easier for me because then, um, like, I'll know whether a bill collector or some other scammer is trying to call me because they don't call me D. So... Hey, let me tell you something smart my dad did years ago because my dad's always been skeptical of the government through super patriotic times and through more burn it down, storm the Bastille times. And he told me years ago when he was a teenager, he's like, watch this. I'm going to misspell my last name because our last name is Katsouris. It's not an average name. I'm going to misspell it in a way that nobody could accidentally misspell it. And he inverted a couple of the letters, and this was filling out a consensus form, right? And he said, look, these people at the consensus say that they don't sell your information. Let's put it to the test. So he he inverted a few of the letters, and he sends it off. And six months later, he starts getting calls from telemarketers and mail, spam mail, junk mail is what they called it back then, that had the same exact spelling. So, was the Census Bureau selling our information to telemarketers? You be the judge. Yeah, that's how it is, Here, man. Here's what I don't understand. Like, I can get a phone call from somebody with a randomly, you know, normal name, like Smith or Jones or whatever, and my caller ID, like, on my phone talks to me and tells me who's calling, and it will slaughter it. Like, it, it's like, how in the hell did they figure out you know, what is that pronunciation? But when you call Nick, it says call from Catsaurus Nick. And I can't figure out why it can get that right, but not some of the sense. I'm the lawnmower right. man. I have control of the matrix. 
That's it. You're the you're the alt reality lawnmower man. I am. Let's not scare people. All right, we have an insane, an insane show today. But before we head into that, Dee, why don't you tell us who's coming up in some future episodes? Because we are taking a little break here soon. We are. We're taking the next couple of weeks off, um, one for a birthday and one for the Super Bowl. Oh, and then, you know, also for Valentine's weekend. Um, But on the 8th of this month of February, we will have Caleb Cunningham from Project Lionheart on our Musical Osmosis show. Then uh, we will have at the end of the month... We will have Todd Newton of Whammy and um, the Price is Right tour fame. Roadshow. Yeah, Roadshow. Um, and then we are also having our buddy Jasper Cole back. And uh, we are also having from Dirk Gently Holistic Detective Agency, we're having Fiona Duraf, who plays probably the most interesting character I've ever seen. The universe won't let her die. There it is. I love <laughs> yeah, that. That's a great impression. And um, who do we have coming up on the 12th of March? We have a very special reunion show coming oh, up. Oh, of course. On the 12th of March, for any of you New Heart fans out there, or fans of umpteen other shows that he's been on, we are having Larry and his brother Daryl. And his other brother Daryl, all together once again. And uh, the, now they won't be, be silent on air, right? They no. won't have to like chat me what their responses are. No, and I, have to I, read them. I think they're actually going to talk to us all together at once, and it's going to be really cool because like nobody ever heard Daryl and Daryl talk except for that one time. And yeah, I, it's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to hear those three together because they obviously had really good chemistry and a really good time together on the show. So I would love to hear how that has aged. All right. And, uh, That's the cool thing about Kettle of Fish is that the research, the homework, you know, the studying and the hard work that goes into it, a lot of times is binge watching. And I used to watch the right. Newhart show when I was a kid, but I don't remember a ton of it, but I, you know, I loved it. So I sense a nice binge watching session coming on with the Newhart show, which really, oh, yeah. in all honesty, does not suck. I hey, I think we um, forgot the most important the last point. Season, right? Yeah, yeah, we own all, but and that doesn't come out till after the reunion yeah. show we're doing. But it's our fiftieth episode of Kettle of Fish. We're yes, doing it, it is our fiftieth episode. Oh my gosh, fifty mm-hmm. episodes of my, I like the show probably more than the other shows because it's fun. And we also have um, our seventy-fifth episode of Drunken Trivia coming up, so we're gonna do something really cool for that. We just don't know what yet because we just realized wow, seventy-five really. Yeah, yep. I know, right? That's amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. It's awesome. It's awesome. All right, who's on today? Because I have one point I want to hit before our guest gets in here. Well, we have Lisa Best in uh, like an hour-ish um, or hour and a half, whatever. Um, and before that, we have Miss Lois Lane herself. We've got Margot Kidder calling in. How cool. How cool. Has everybody lost their minds? Like- I think Fern passed out. <laughs> I'm like, did I faint? Just, Are we awake? Yes, this is we have really got happening. Super activist, awesome actress, Miss um, Margaret. We're Bitter at the top million. of the roller coaster now, yes, baby. Absolutely. All right, let me hit this point. A recent report was just released from the EIU. Once again, America has been downgraded. This time we've been downgraded from a full democracy to a flawed democracy. That kind of puts us in the camp with countries like Italy. 
that are just dysfunctional pseudo democracies. And and at the at the one end of the spectrum is full democracy. I know that we're a direct repu- or indirect republic, or there's a bunch of different names for it. But the way that this scale works worldwide, full democracy on one end, full blown fascist government on the other. Um, a country must maintain an eight point rating to stay a full democracy, and the criteria for this is the electoral process, pluralism, which I'm assuming means how many different types of people are represented within your society, civil liberties, functionality of government. That right there has fucking killed us. Um, Political participation is another one, and political culture. And we have fallen under eight points for the first time in our history. And guess what? We get to tack that on to our credit rating, our worldwide credit rating being downgraded for the first time in history. And for the first time in history, um, people, the life expectancy of Americans have gone down. People are living less. Our kids are going to live um, less of a lifespan, are going to live shorter lives. And us, if something doesn't change ASAP. Fern, what do you say to people when they go, I I don't care, this doesn't affect me, that we're just skidding into a fucking ditch? Well, first I'm going to push back on the democracy aspect again, because you know how I feel about that. We're a constitutional republic, whereas a democracy is ruled by people, even though most of the time it is an elective representative situation. A, a, A republic is ruled by law. And the checks and balances that we have within our Constitution, that's why I call it the Constitutional Republic um, or a constitutional democracy, if you want to put it that way, it is slightly different. However, I think that you have seen the erosions of states' rights over the years, which has put us more into the democracy category than the Constitutional Republic category. And that's really what we were intended to be. So with rule of law and with a constitutional republic, you have inalienable rights that are protected, and those are not just the rights of individuals, those are the rights of states. And there has been somewhat of an erosion of that over time, so it doesn't surprise me that we've kind of gone down that path because we have gone more towards big government, and even though we are still ruled by law, um, it has been to the benefit of bigger corporations, big oil, big pharma, and those types of... um, those type of uh, organizations. So it's really a sad thing to see. And we need to kind of, I think you're seeing people stand up and really revolt against this type of behavior now. People are starting to punch up instead of down, as you say, Nick. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I just have one point to make about this. With all of these horrible things going on and all the numbers going down that we want up and, you know, we owe 10 tons of money and blah, 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 blah. Just look at what generation is in charge right now that's all just look at what generation is in charge and then i think you have your answers and that would be the greatest generation is still some of those guys are still kicking around and mostly baby boomers right i mean but they've always been taught this is the way you do it and we do it this way because that's all we know well hey guess what and i i know a million people have have said it if you always do what you've always done you'll always get always what get you've always what you got. always got and that and this is why term limits are important worse. you need to get new blood fresh blood fresh ideas yep. and not business as usual politics which to be honest with you is part of the rise of trump because people wanted that they wanted different they didn't want a politician and there's some people who regret that decision now and there's some people who are doubling down yep. and standing by it 
I try to take my personal feelings for him out of it and look at legislation or the executive orders that have been flowing through um, and better. keep it <laughs> keep it logical, keep it intellectual, but he makes it very hard. This is this is change, yes, but it's not necessarily change for the better in a lot of aspects. Well, and let's look at it this way. I put a post up yesterday, and it was inspired. Actually, it was last night, pretty late last night. And it was inspired by the protest, first the Women's March, then all the little sporadic protests during the week, and then after this Muslim ban. And I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole today because we're on a time crunch. But all these people showing up at airports, organizing, and you know the ACLU backing everybody up, lawyers coming out, working pro bono trying to fix this mess that was created with the stroke of a pen and and getting the federal judge getting the elector the um judicial branch to kind of check president trump's power which is what democracy is all about right the executive branch and the judicial branch checking each other checks and balance so i put this up and then I'll let you chime in here. Let me just read this real quick, Fern. I put this up last night, and I stand by this. Liberals have a concern with a Republican president that a Republican president is abusing power. They organize, speak truth to power, and exercise their constitutional right to protest. Conservatives have concerns a Democrat president is abusing their power. They buy a bunch of guns, spread fear and bullshit conspiracy theories, and talk about overthrowing their own government. And I know it's a it's a generalization. Everything is kind of a generalization when you're talking parties or any mass group of people. But if you just look at it in general terms, when one side is dissatisfied or even fearful, the way that they act, the way they respond is so different in a way the other side responds. And I think that's a big problem in this country. I think that's fair to a point. And I think that the the um the thing that I try to look at is the Republicans have been frustrated for eight years, and not only with the Democratic side, but also within their own party, because they screamed obstructionism, and then when they got it, a lot of people didn't want it. A lot of Republicans I talked to were not on board with snubbing Merrick Garland. So, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. I think over the course of eight years, it escalated for sure. A nomination they wanted, by the way. And then when a, they got a nomination it, they, they no. basically dared him to make, yeah. So I, I don't I, I, I can agree to a certain point. Um, what I'm happy to see is whether it's whether it would be on the conservative side or the liberal side. It happens to be on the liberal side this time, and I, I admire what people are doing to go out and go through the process, go through the protest, and see what happens. I mean, like I told you this morning, it was really nice to see the judicial branch come through and kind of call that executive power into check. And I, I have to wonder, that judge, once he disrobed and once he got out of the courtroom, I have no, no doubt that it was adjudicated fairly, but I have to wonder what he was feeling. Was he a staunch Trump supporter who felt bad that he had to make that decision, or was he, a, or was he on the other side or somewhere in the middle who felt good about making that decision? I want to know what he went through personally, but politically, it was really nice to see the process actually work. People just come together and go through the process and not burn things down and not, yes. you know, because that has happened on the liberal side, too. So well, we can't ignore that. Let me, let me say this, and I know that you had talked to an old friend 
um, the other night in a bar, and they said they had listened to the Ignorance Equation, which of course was our old panel show. And he was like, "That Nick guy, I can't stand what he's saying." Blah blah blah. And you know, people hear what I'm saying and they get pissed off. And what I would ask everybody from this moment forward, I would warn them, and you know, the intro is kind of tongue in cheek, but I would warn them. I'm going to say things that are going to piss you off. But as an American, I know I piss you off sometimes if you're on the other side of that political chasm. Please just push through it and listen to what we have to say because it's fucking important. And, you know, with that in mind, and I'll ask you, let me try to ask a question that is impartial. What do you say to the Trump supporters that say, hey, look, you said it couldn't be done. You said our voices were meaningless. We want the country to go in the exact opposite direction it's been going in for eight years. Now that we won, we deserve a ticker tape parade. We deserve a pat on the back. But most importantly, we deserve for you guys to shut up comply and let us run things for a change and run things. I mean, of course, you're leaving out the component. They don't want us to obstruct or spread conspiracy theories and shit like they did. But they're saying, look, man, we won. Give us a few years. Give Trump a few years to see what he's going to do and then start electing these guys out of office if you're dissatisfied. What would you say to those people who have that point? Here's what I would say. I would say if you are going to expect 100% capitulation, then you are barking up the wrong tree. Um, If you are going to listen to me and let me validate maybe one or two executive orders that he has put through that I do actually agree with and validate your opinion on maybe certain things, then you also need to listen to the opposing argument of why I don't think the wall is a great idea. I don't think it's a good return on investment. I don't think that banning people who are coming into this country legally is a good idea. I think there's always middle ground for everything. And if I can find middle ground with you, you diehard Trump supporter, and say, you know what, I can take all my personal out of it and I can look at it purely intellectually and understand that some of this is okay with me. Some of it's actually good. Some of it, most of it, is very, very bad. But I'll tell you why I think it's bad. And then we can continue to have a discussion. But if you go into a discussion with the intent of 100% capitulation, then I will refuse to validate you. And not only that, I will refuse to acknowledge you. I will just walk away, like walking away from And this is coming from someone who's voted Republican most of her life. So this isn't like some diehard, far-left, Bernie, socialist liberal. This is somebody who has always looked at stuff situation by situation. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, if, if case, if, if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, if he was running against John Kasich, I would have voted for Kasich. If Bernie Sanders was the nominee running against Trump, I would have voted for him hands down 10 times over. And this is not because I'm a socialist. This is not because I'm a liberal. This is because I believed that what he was going to do, while I understand the constitutional argument, I believe that it would solve a lot of problems. And I believe that he would unify a lot more than Donald J. Trump. So yep. I, I just I said, thought he was better for the country. And even though his party beliefs were kind of uh, opposite of mine in a lot of arenas, they weren't in some arenas. And I could deal with that to socially have a little more cohesiveness than what we have right now. I mean, things are escalating. It's getting really bad. Absolutely. And, and I mean, probably in the last 20 years, no politician for me has come along that I've been most in line with than Bernie Sanders. So that's once again, me and you are very different. You're very more to the right than I am. But people mm-hmm. put us in the same box or even call you my minion or and, you know, and I'm not just talking recently. I'm talking over the years, over the last year and a half, you know, on the ignorance equation. Oh, you're just following Nick and minion. But you have your own mind and we differ on a lot of things. And it's just terrible when people want to shove everybody in the box. 
boxes and put labels on everyone. Well, even with Kasich, I had my issues with him. You know, he was very pro-TPP, which I was not. And that's one of the policies that I agree with that Donald Trump has put through. Um, you know, he has signed more abortion legislation, if, I, if I'm correct. And my, the listeners out there, they can tell us if we're wrong. But I'm pretty sure he signed more abortion legislation than any other governor. I wasn't okay with that. But what he did do is come out and say, look, on an executive level, I am not going to try to legislate my morality into the American people. Now, that shows a man of fortitude. That shows a man of uh, who understands that what needs to be done in this country is not just what he wants done. It's for the good of the He whole. understands balance. Um, well, I'll have this yeah. last word, and then we got to get Margo in here. If this country had any sanity, if this country had any kind of – one, like work together spirit. We're all in this together. This election last year would have been John Kasich against Bernie Sanders. Those were two mm-hmm. viable choices, reasonable men who I feel carried. Well, I mean, Bernie was a little bit outside of the Democratic banner, but I mean, John Kasich carried Republican values. Um, Bernie Sanders carried values where I feel like I wanted the Democratic Party to go. And if this country was reasonable, it wouldn't have been Hillary Clinton against some reality TV guy who has no experience and has no <laughs> idea what he's doing, as we can see in the onslaught of executive orders that are all exploding like landmines in Zelda or something all righty let me get margo in here margo are you with us i am indeed how are you i am amazing i am all fired up today and i cannot thank you enough for calling in so early from montana yeah well it's early for me it's for montanans most of them get up at five and six and seven i i tend to sleep in till noon if i can <laughs> well i appreciate you getting up early and spending some time with us a uh, quick antidote when i was young third grade fourth grade every year music class we would all all sit down with our instruments, our bells and our flutes and stuff. They, they called them recorders, I think, back then. And the teacher would come in and go, look, I, I see all you guys kind of salivating over your instruments. Let's get it out of your system. Everybody blow your horns and beat on your bells and let's get it out of your system so you're not fiddling with it while I'm trying to teach. Get that out of the way and then we'll get to the good work of politics here. Cool? Mm-hmm, sure. Alright, let me start with this. I'm, I'm going through YouTube. I'm looking up old interviews with you. I found an interview from the 70s. You're on the Dick Cavett show. I don't know how much of this you'll remember (laughs) i remember that i was a child you were a child absolutely and you're on there with gloria um gloria swanson and janice joplin that's correct that was quite uh, an evening for me I bet, man. And I'm sitting here and I'm watching this. And you're reading this review from Vancouver, like a newspaper from Vancouver, of how um, Dick Cavett is the sexiest man in North America. And everybody's having a good time. And it's really surreal. Here's what's going through my head. I'm watching this and I am like, man, the life that Margot Kidder must have lived. The people that she's met. The experience she had. The travel she's been on. I don't know if I'll ever talk to somebody again that's kind of really just has had that amazing experience. Um, How do you process this? Like, looking back, are you like, man, it's a big blur, and it seems like it went by in a blink of an eye? Or do you kind of look back and say, do you look back and go, how the hell did I do all this in just my short 68 years? This is insane. Well, 68's not so short. And one of the things that happens as you get older is stuff does seem to go more quick. But um, I think when I left 
home quite young, my uh, my goal, if you if you can call it a goal, was to commit as much experience as I could, and to have as many adventures as I could. I wasn't somebody who wanted to get married, settle down, and have babies and be a housewife, to say the least. Yeah. So there was an intentional forward motion, not just to be a movie star, quote, but uh, to to have to never turn down a chance at a good adventure. I suppose is the best way to put it. So yes, I've had a fantastic life and continue to keep having one. It's a it's a nice way to go about things. <laughs> I agree, and I try to do the same, and that's why you know I came up in the punk rock world, and I have right. always you know I didn't just play in a punk band and go, man, I hope like like in Josie and the Pussycats, I hope Mr. Big drives by and hears me in my garage. You know, I started a little record label and a production company, and I wanted to have my fingers in as many pies as possible. Because I I wanted the experience, and I just think that you let me gush all over you for a second. I just think you've lived an incredible life, and I you know and I couldn't admire you more, Margo. It is incredible. Thank life you so life. much. Thank you. Um, okay, we yeah. got to move on to Superman okay. because the fanboys demand it. Um, you're the let's not say the original Lois Lane because there was that Christopher Reed TV show, not Christopher Reeves, but Christopher hey, Reed, hey, George Reeves, George Reeves. Thank you, thank yeah. you, George Reeves, black and white TV show. But you are the most iconic Lois Lane. Do you feel defensive, protective of that character? So when you see her kind of thrashed in more modern incarnations, you're like, oh, man, I take this personally? Or do you have distance from that? Oh, I have a lot of distance from it. It was a long, long time ago, and my life has moved on, not just from Superman, but from Hollywood and from that entire life. I mean, I don't act that much anymore. Um, and it's the the world of, of show business is not really at the center of my day-to-day life. So I... I loved Lois Lane, and and um, I think both the actresses who've who've uh, been Lois since have done a good job given what they've been given to work. I mean, Amy Adams is one of our best actresses around. Um, I just wish the writers would give Lois uh, more of a liberated point of view. <laughs> I agree. That's the way to put it. You know, it's it's almost as if they took her back to the days when the woman character in a movie was the girlfriend. So that's the only thing. I mean, it doesn't really bother me. It's not my choice or life or anything like that. It's a sort of just a, a mild observation, I suppose, is the only way to put it. Well, do you get tired of talking about Superman? Because you have to answer this. I mean, I watched some interviews with you, and it's basically the same five questions over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> do, you get, do you ever yeah. get tired of it, or is the fans like so... Well, you do get a little tired of... What was it like working with Christopher Reeve? I mean, there's there's a very there's no answer to that because, as I always say to people, look, um, uh, it was our life for a couple of years there. So if you have a, a life with somebody, which we certainly all did together, making the movies in England, um, it's everything. It's if you you know, some days it's good, some days it's bad, some days it's funny, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Those questions get a little dull. Every so often you want to make a smart-ass remark, but you realize... You right, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, Fern, I know I was talking to you on the phone today, and I, and you were like, yeah, I told Margo on the phone today, too. I was like, I'm a little bit nervous, and we don't usually get <laughs> nervous, but yeah, I think the last time I was nervous was when we had Jamie Farr on a couple years ago. I um, mean, uh, you were like, yeah. I, so, I said, how's this different to you, Fern, than William Sanderson or somebody like that you grew up with? And your answer was? Well, you know, when I was a kid, um, things were really tough and I I immersed myself into books and movies and the Superman movies to me gave me not only a sense of that there's good in the world and that there's a hero and not just a a hero who's going to go and beat up bad guys I mean Christopher Reeves really 
pre- presented this character as soft, uh, I think softer than that has been presented since. And there was a softness about him and a, a toughness about him when he needed to be, but it gave me that hero mentality. And it wasn't just Superman. It was Lois Lane, too. She was tough, man. She was tough as nails. She was smart. She was successful. And a great you, have, you have to understand this. This gives um, children, especially young girls, and with with what we're going through lately, this gives young girls the imagination and the the drive to say, I can do it. I can make it. I can be successful. I can be tough. I don't need a man, but I can get one and still do what needs to be done. So when people ask you all the time about Superman, I can't speak for them. But for me, it had a huge impact, especially in the, in the movie when you died and he went back and saved you by turning back time. Like that is one of the most um, ingrained images in my head from my childhood because it was very impactful. It showed true love. It showed people going above and beyond. And it was, it was just very important to me. So I just want to thank you for that. That was, um, that was really cool. Well, thank you. That makes me feel good. It's funny. You know, when you're making a movie, you, you rarely think of that end of it, how it impacts other people. I, and I think that the, Movies we made, certainly the ones that Donner directed, the first two. Oh, the, yeah. The real Superman 2, which is the Dick Donner cut, and the first one, were softer, yeah. as you call them, because they were more true to the comic. And they were also, uh, we were making a morality tale in a very real way. Um, and so the the gentleness uh, and, the, and the sort of this is good and this is bad sense that comes through from them comes from the director. That's, uh, that's all Dick Donner. He, he really... Uh, led us in the in the right direction. Now I just sat with a young friend, a girl, a young girl I met at Standing Rock, and she came and stayed with me for a month, and we were watching Batman versus Superman, and it was all fighting. The whole thing was fighting, and I went, "Wow, this is borders on o- overly violent here." Yeah. Um, and but it didn't have the morality tale within it as much as the early one um, for me, anyway. And I couldn't me. agree the more. The moving thing for me was when I was at a Comic-Con in Northern Ireland, and um, more than one person came up and said, oh, I can't do the accent very well, you know, Margo, <laughs> that's sort of half Scottish, but they, that they had been able to get make it through the Troubles, which were much more violent than I had known, when the war between uh, the British and the Northern Irish was going on, by watching Superman. And one guy was saying how, you know, when they, you know, were blowing up his street and there were bombs going off, he could run in the house and watch Superman, and that gave him some sense oh, of man. In the world. And I burst into tears. <laughs> it was a, an amazing thing to be told. That is amazing. And that's that's yeah. kind of why I, I let in with what I did, because I can't imagine how you process the life that you have lived. How do you, I don't, I never know what people will mean when they say, how do you process this or that? I don't know what, what that I mean, just I like when I called it. you and said that, you know, I was nervous and you were just like, why? And I was like, uh, you're Margot Kidder. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah. you just do a different filter. I mean, you're, you live it. So you see you as like the person who. Well, I just see myself as another schmuck on the subway like everybody else I, 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 who happened to be in show business. And I think that's so, why everyone yeah. loves you. Okay, let me move on to this. You said you're retired. 
what does that mean for Margot Kidder? Does it mean that you're completely out and you would never do any acting again? Or are you just kind of seeing where the wind takes you? Oh, no, I do a little bit here and there. Mostly um, uh, independent films with young directors, which I find really encouraging and fun. Um, But, you know, I'm 68. They don't make big parts for 68-year-olds very much. And and also remaining in that business as a full-time job is exhausting. And I did it for so long. I don't want to doing the same thing over and over. Are you the type of person who kind of is really concerned about legacy? Like 100 years from now, do you want people to remember Margot Kidder the actor or Margot Kidder the activist? <laughs> I'll be dead as a doornail. I don't think I'll dare one way or the other. Um, uh, uh, so, no, I don't think about legacy at all. Wow. It's yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed I'm too busy actually doing stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's what or makes me not... a narcissist for and I'm, I'm always thinking about legacy. Like, what are, what are people going to think about me 100 years? <laughs> years for now if at all right yeah but you and i kind of have the same mentality of you know like we would rather look back and say man i'm really glad i did that than i'm really glad i bought that flat screen tv you know what i'm saying so you you do obsess on it sometimes nick but there's a lot of times where you just do the work because you can and because you want to and because you feel it's important and it sounds like margo that you do the same thing and that's more people need to have that mentality of getting involved and doing the work because they're passionate about it and don't be scared, you know, just get out there and do it because it can make a difference. One well, person. That wonderful, uh, very true saying that nobody died um, regretting the stuff that they did do as much as regretting the stuff they did not or no. Yeah. I always say like, nobody's on their deathbed going, Oh, I wish I had a bigger TV or a newer car. Exactly. It's always like, yep. I wish I would have wrote that great American novel or took that trip to France. Yep. So yep, I'm, that's true. Definitely in that mind frame, too. Um, speaking of Standing Rock, let's kind of shift gears here into the political. Mm-hmm. You, oh, good. I read a ton about Standing Rock. I've been following it. I've been following all the check-ins when that was happening, the horrible shit that's going down there. Um, you see the videos and stuff. What are we not seeing? What is the media misrepresenting? And you being on the ground out there, what is it that we're fundamentally missing in this country of how well, Standing Rock's portrayed? The mainstream media is fundamentally missing the entire story. Um, It started out as a a one tribe going, no, don't put a pipeline under our water. You know, the Dakota Access Pipeline had initially been um, supposed to go under the Missouri River at Bismarck, and the white people all went, oh, God, no, we don't want that. It could leak into our water. So, of course, they moved it down stream somewhat to the Standing Rock uh, Dakota Reservation. And and the and the resistance began quite some time ago within the tribe, and then more tribes came on board. Then it became a whole movement of the uh, gathering of the tribes of all over North America, and what the press totally missed, overwhelmingly emotional and glorious uh, vision of indigenous peoples from all over the world coming to Standing Rock to stand in solidarity with the indigenous peoples of Standing Rock. So you had people from Bolivia, you had the Maori from New Zealand, you had one night I went to go to this sacred fire to hear the native drumming, which puts me to sleep, I love it so much, and went up and there was this weird noise of and I turned somewhere and went, what's that? And they went, oh, no, no, that's the Aboriginal people from Australia playing the didgeridoo or some strange instrument. There were people from Hawaii. When they, when each tribe arrived, they walked down the flag row, it's called, the 
entryway to the camp, which has flags from now it's about 250-300 indigenous nations, I believe, um, and singing and dancing in their traditional costumes and and uh, speaking their traditional languages, and then they would come into the circle and do a dance and a prayer. And it was breathtaking. I mean, absolutely breathtaking to be a, a witness to. Um, and that was the initial part of the camp was was that sort of introduction and the incredible euphoria of all these people, different colors, different nations, working together, standing as one. Uh, it was extraordinary. And that but the camp worked on about 10 levels. You had the political level, that it being a resistance to this pipeline, which is, in fact, a Canadian pipeline that everybody forgets. It's owned right. by Enrich, a really wicked com- company in Calgary, Alberta. Um, it is being built so that it can accommodate uh, bitumen from the tar sands of Alberta, which is the dirtiest form of oil you can possibly get out of the ground. Indeed. And that contributes more to climate change than any other kind of oil. People in the press have entirely missed that and keep saying it's about uh, North Dakota light sweet crude going from the Bakken oil fields in North Dakota and Montana to Illinois, which is not true. Um, It's not just about that. It will be able to do that, but mostly it's being designed and built to move bitumen from Canada, which is evil and should be shut down. So you've got that political part of it going. Then you've got the racist part of it going, which is, oh, yeah, it's okay to pollute the Indians' water, but you can't pollute the white people's water up there in Bismarck. You've got that level. You've got the social level of different people coming together. And you were talking about socialism earlier, working in a way together and sharing everything, work, food, shelter, you name it, uh, in a way that can only be called socialism, and in fact is what Christianity is supposed to be about, but it rarely is. Uh, so you had that level going on, and then you had this uh, this incredible sense of just thousands and thousands of people united together in one cause that was very hard not to be moved by on a constant and daily basis. It was it was truly amazing. People just stepped up to fight. Some people stepped up and built a school. Uh, I saw my contribution as getting thousands of books to try and get a library built, which we didn't get built, but was you know the books were there and still are, and that's still in the works. So it's and, and the other thing it did was it ignited similar movements all around Canada and the United States. Um, so it. it I, the press missed the story entirely. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it like about, it. They thought it was all about whether somehow the people in the white racists in North Dakota, and trust me, there's a lot of them, were going to beat out uh, the Indians and get the pipeline put through where they wanted. That wasn't the story. The story was the story was and is huge. If you look at what's happening now on Facebook, I just got chastised by my daughter for not being on Twitter. I don't know how to do it. Uh, with <laughs> the anti-Muslim ban things happening, with people jumping in in every city, at every airport. That's what happened in Standing Rock with every tribe, with people from all over the world jumping on board. There's something going on out there. So Standing Rock kind of gave us a, a way or, or a vision, perhaps, is the way to put it, for everyone to jump in, in in resistance to many of our modern evils. And if you look at what's going on at the airports right now, which is thrilling. I mean, it's, I can't tear myself away from Facebook. 
uh, and you look at what happened at Standing Rock, you see there's a similar model going on. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Nick, but the model itself, it's almost as if yeah, it's a microcosm uh, of what's what? a, it's a microcosm of what's happening nationally now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's really exciting, and and I think Standing Rock was the first time in a long time that people have said, "Hey, this can be done." Wow, this is amazing. There was a point there at which I felt that the movement at Standing Rock was a going to win uh, with the Dakota Access Pipeline, which I'm not so sure about now. Uh, and, and B had 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 really you know had broken the mold. We could win this one, therefore we could actually start to ameliorate some of the symptoms of climate change. For example, it, it really showed us a way and was really thrilling. And you know, I'm watching these videos, a couple of interviews with you, and it just seems like it was more than just a movement to you. It was transformative for you. It changed you, it right? For everyone who went there, I think. I don't think there were many of us who who stayed there in our tents. I finally had to get out. I am 68, and being in a tent at 30 below is really tough. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) You know what? I I don't want to be somebody who has to be taken care of here. Time to go home. But I think for everyone it was transformative. I think it was one of the main things we got from it was real and genuine hope, not the phony Obama hope that we all voted for, but real, real hope that people could come together and make things good happen. And I feel that way today about watching all the responses to Trump's obscene anti-Muslim ban going on all across the country and the governor stepping up and speaking out calling you know calling the what he's done racist and obscene and this is what a movement of the people looks like right so you've got this trump movement and trump's like i'm empowering the people just by spitting out a bunch of executive orders and trampling all over everybody else who doesn't agree but what actually is a movement of the people the people's voice being heard is Standing Rock, is the Women's March, is what's happening in the airports. That's actually mobilization of the people, not Trump's executive orders. Well, and Trump is a symptom of, uh, uh, you know, is yeah, a symptom I agree. Of where we let this country go. It, I'm, I hate to break the news to the guy, but it's not all about him. He, he, we set the stage with complacency for allowing someone like Trump to get in. The Democratic Party set the stage by picking an appalling candidate. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons Trump got elected, uh, not the least of which is that Hillary Clinton was not progressive, was had very little to offer, mm-hmm. and was just more of the same corruption. So what's happening now is this rising up. I'm sitting here going, <gasps> as a, someone who loves reading history books, oh my God, we're actually going to have a revolution and throw this crap out. It's so exciting, I can't tell you. I am a socialist. I don't mean revolution in the sense of what happened in Russia. Times have changed, obviously. Revolutions have a different form. But I do think, finally, I hope, I pray, I hold my breath, that before I die, this movement of people standing up and rising up against evil of all sorts of kinds, against tyranny, against economic injustice against racism against the pollution of our land is lasting i'm just it's like this big avalanche of evolution is coming and you have this exactly that's a perfect way to to hold it it back and like no 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 we won't let evolution come down the mountain yeah yeah that's perfect i mean i just learned today on my facebook feed tantu cardinal who's a brilliant cree 
activist and actress in Canada, who's a dear friend, just posted something. The Métis in uh, Manitoba are blocking um, uh, a place where Trudeau is just said they could put a pipeline through. So they're sitting on that. It's the resistance is popping up absolutely everywhere you can look. It's 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 thrilling, well, absolutely you know, thrilling. I saw you post something the other day, and I'm going to throw this over to Fern too. I saw you post the other day, and I think you were spot on. And you were like, "It's just too much. It's too fast." And it was overwhelming to the point where the country is probably going to have like five insane things happen before we get off the air today. It's well, moving what, so yes, quickly. What I posted with that one, Phil, was that was three or four days ago. It's, things are happening incredibly fast. I was overwhelmed by the speed with which Trump and company moved to violate our human rights, our legal rights, uh, moral stance on everything. I was just aghast at his speed. But what's now started to happen is the speed of the resistance is rising up as well. Yeah, so equal now and opposite now reaction. Getting, what? Equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, I mean, I find myself literally gasping for breath. You're sitting here going, holy mackerel, how fast is this going to move? But I don't think anyone knows where this is going to end up. Well, I, it's no. funny. Last night, Fern, um, you know, I put that post up and I was like, this is a total mindfuck, right? Because I'm scrolling through and it's like Facebook and you see like 37 posts about how the world is ending and then an adorable cat picture. And then 50 more posts about how shit's on fire. And I'm just scrolling yeah. through like all this horrible stuff and then a couple raccoons sharing a rotisserie chicken. And then more horror. And it's like, oh, holy well, shit, holy shit. I like shit. the raccoon ones. Don't put them down. Yeah, I I'm like not putting the them down. They're a nice little <laughs> I love the animal boys. I, I, I think mine my stuff is not so much i don't see it as ugly as much as all right the trump stuff is definitely ugly but the responses to it the the the, the state of horror in which so much of america finds itself and certainly the world the world is looking on just rolling its eyes at us um that reaction is one that gives me great hope and uh, a great great solace that it's not happening in a in silence the way when barack obama was uh drone killing people all over the place we all just sat with our mouths shut you know this is this people are resisting maybe it's because the guys are bloody ugly it's easy to resist them i don't know but to see the resistance being this passionate is for me just fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Now we have to get people this passionate about climate change. Yeah, and all the other pipelines, and and, and we'll be there. Well, let's so talk people about... aren't just fighting. Oops, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. First. I was going to say pe- people aren't just fighting against um, against Trump, and that's what I think a lot of people think. You know, a lot of people think liberals are just oh they hate Trump, so they're fighting against Trump. People are fighting against an anti-fact an anti-reality. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. learning to do their due diligence. They are learning to, to vet their information. They're learning to say, hey, look, you can call this fake news if you want to, but you're only calling it fake news because you don't agree with it. Now, I'm not saying it's not an epidemic and it isn't a problem. There's been a lot thrown out there. But there's a, this is a term that's been coined that allows people on the other side to just throw away fact because they don't agree with it. And I don't mm-hmm. know how everybody else approaches a problem or a situation, but... Before we started this show, I didn't know a lot about the Dakota Pipeline. 
So what I did was I went and I did my research. I researched the history. I researched the Treaty of Laramie. I researched how the Black Hills were taken because of gold by Custer. I researched how the government admitted, yes, this was taken unfairly. We're going to compensate you for it, but they haven't touched that money that's in the Federal Reserve. It's still sitting there. They want the land or at least co-ownership. Yeah, the tribe didn't agree to the loss to the 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 lawsuit that was brought and taken. In the end, exactly, and pe- they, they don't understand that there are possibly sacred burial grounds where this pipeline is going through, that they filed an injunction, but they started construction anyway in these areas and were allowed to continue in some of the areas, possibly degrading these burial grounds forever, destroying them. And my mother and I, we, we differ very different, we differ a lot in politics, but she's Native American, as am I, even though I'm not much Native American, I'm a little bit. She's very in tune with that culture, and she said, this is no more egregious than going to a graveyard and digging it up. It's the same thing. So I think to maybe have a little compassion and empathy and introspection in oneself and put yourself in another person's shoes would help the mentality of the country, not just on this level, but on a, a much broader scope. Well, we've got a big problem That's with That's a very eloquent way of putting it. What my, at times, uh, uh, it wasn't an argument. I, I had to say, found myself saying many times, this is not just about being Native American, however. This is about a pipeline that is going to uh, beat up the rate of climate change. And I, uh, one of the main reason I was a Sanders supporter, believe that the biggest issue facing all of us, whether you're Native American, whether you're um, white, whatever you you are is that our world is coming to an end. I have grandkids who are going to be coming of it. Well, they're coming of age now, but we're going to be living as young people in a world where we're going to be having wars over water. Um, if you told me that when I was young, of course, I would have thought you were all nuts. People walking around with the end of the world is, is at hand signs. So you've got, when I said that the Standing Rock thing worked on so many levels, that the, what you just described, the obscenity of the way we've treated Native Americans, is definitely one of them. Um, but I think that one of the reasons it became so huge uh, is because there were, there were the issue of climate change became part of it, the issue of water, the awareness about water, people doing what you and your mom did, looking things up, learning about the history of the way we have treated Native Americans and First Nations people forever, which is, of course, obscene and shameful. So uh, if you put it all together, you have something that we in this country have never seen, never seen a, a, level, a level of revolution and resistance that is quite amazing. So let me ask you guys this. Does this new Trump executive order with the go-ahead on the pipeline, does this turn that whole movement on its head? What's next? Where do you guys go next? Well, what, what, it doesn't turn it on its head. All, what it's done is it said to Keystone Pipeline, you can resubmit your application to the State Department, which is what they've done. It then has to go through an environmental review. Well, with Trump's stand on the environment, we know that's going to be pretty lax. And they'll probably do what they did the first time, which just Trans-Canada hired a, uh, a, an Australian company that's part of their own company to do a, a, a cosmetic environmental review. So that has to happen before they actually start uh, reopening the notion of the the Keystone XL. And the Dakota Access Pipeline simply sped up 
or I think it, it it said they are they can do it without the environmental review. I think that's what it was, or it sped up the environmental review, which was a, uh, the Obama administration's uh, Army Corps of Engineers statement said you have to complete a thorough environmental review of this before you uh, go ahead and put that pipe under the under the Missouri River. Well, they've been working, you know, right up to the edge of that river in spite of what Obama said, just charging ahead, waiting till Trump came in. So I think, it, does it change stuff? Um, no. We have to fight all of these pipelines all the time until we have figured out that with oil, we have to keep it in the ground. All yeah. the pipelines do is, is expand oil fields and expand tar sands and expand the fracking of oil that's going on in North Dakota that's rendered so much of the land unusable. And um, so I don't think it's a game changer. It just makes our job that much harder. We thought we'd stop Keystone, so we have to, you know, put on our resistance clothes and go up and stop that one again. Well, There's I definitely th- a lot of work to do, right, Dee? Uh, yeah, and I think so, a lot of people are really forgetting what's it sta- like, what is exactly at stake, because I don't know if you guys are up with it, but over in Oklahoma, they've been doing all this fracking because, right. you know, they want more oil. And now they have some of the largest earthquakes in recorded history, and they have about mm-hmm. 600 every year. Every year. Up that's from like, like 40. Yeah, that's two earthquakes a day in Oklahoma. I mean, so they just mm-hmm. want to turn the rest of the Midwest like that? They want to turn Dakota like that? You know what? Why not just turn Tennessee that way? We've got mountains. Go for it. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. I, it's just – it, and like you say, it's like how Trump is just shoving things through. And mm-hmm. you just sit back and you're just like, are you kidding? Is this reality? Are we in the Matrix right now? Well, like, what we are in – you want to go back to Superman. We're in a, the biggest morality play any of mm-hmm. us are, have been in. We're in – we either fight for the the planet and for the human species to, to, to live, or we fight for greed and money and oil. Oil just oil equals at this point greed. Um, so you're on one side or the other. There's no standing in the middle on this one. There's no well. We'll have some of the pipelines and not the other. There, it, the only stance to take is we take the money out of these companies that we've subsidized with our tax dollar to an obscene degree, and we put it into alternative energy, and we do it now. We don't wait. The smart it's thing all over Europe, we could yeah. do it here. I mean, um, Thomas um, Friedman of, always yeah. says. Thomas Friedman always writes on this, and he says the next superpower are going to be the superpowers that have clean energy. The countries like India that and China has, is outpacing us at the moment. Yeah. So this whole faux feud with China is insane. I mean, what the greedy, nasty bad guys are want is more war because they've invested not only in oil but in weapons, our biggest export, and they want. Uh, um, um, they want to stop alternative energy in that, until they're multi-trillionaires instead of multi-billionaires. It's that, it's that clear a choice. You're on one side or the other. You, you can't be halfway there. We know that from our scientists. It's why Trump has muzzled all the science. Yes, that is you know? scary stuff right there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it makes 1984, that wonderful book, look like Chaplin. Which I is a top seller now, again, by the way, for yep. the first time in yep. years. People are mm-hmm. waking up. I mean, you know, and I, I trust you because you always trust people, like as Christopher Hayes says, by proximity or by experience or by knowledge, right? And you've mm-hmm. lived, you being a person who's lived so many different lives and has so much experience, is this moment in time unlike anything you've ever experienced? Or is it like a lot of people who downplay it and go, well, this is what happens always? Oh, for me, 
at 68, this is like nothing I've ever experienced. This 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 thing of people actually rising up and being determined to, to be on the side of good. I don't know how, I know it's a very simplistic way of putting it, but that's how I see it. So, no, I, I've been politically active for about 40 years and marched here and done that there and got called Baghdad Betty in the first Gulf War. Oh, man. All sorts of things. But um, we were such a minority, those of us resist now. I mean, wow, it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. People are rising up and saying, as they are this week or the last few days with this Muslim ban, this cannot stand. Get this out of my country. No, you can't do this. That's what I've never seen. Now, maybe it's social media, which I'm so inept at. It's a joke. Um, <laughs> but I, I, so I can't tell you why. Is it because we finally had enough? Is it because we finally recognize that racism is a really stupid thing to pursue? I and, hope so. No. Is it because I, my friend Tantu says we're having a spiritual awakening? Maybe we are. I don't know what's going on, but something is. And it is, for this old lady, the most thrilling thing. My granddaughter, bless her brilliant little heart, who just is at Harvard this year for her first year. They spent yesterday nice. at the airport out in Logan. I mean, it makes my heart beat fast. But you sound oddly optimistic because there could be a lot of blood in the streets and a lot of chaos. Well, there could be blood in the streets. But if you read, say, The Sixth Extinction, or you really do your homework, and I'm going to make a plug for books here. The reason I know about climate change, the reason I know about what the tar sands are doing to the to not just the climate, but boreal forests that I grew up playing in, is that I read books. I read a lot of books. I love books. Anyone young is watching, get we are books in your house. Read them, read them, read them. That's how you learn. So you do your homework. As you were saying, Dee, you, you sat down and you did your homework about the Native American history with the U.S. government, which is really shameful for us and and yeah. uh, makes if you're white it makes one extremely uncomfortable if you have to look and but we have to look at it um that that there is again maybe it's social media this desire to get educated learn and wake up and that's what i've never seen before but the there, fear it's is not cool to be apathetic anymore it is not cool but here's the fear, though, right? The fear is we have such short attention spans that this is just a flare, that this is going to well, shut up and burn Well, I don't think that's out. not my fear. My fear is that we have such a short amount of time that as a planet, uh, a functioning planet, nature, however you want to put it, as a species, that we're not going to move quickly enough. I mean, if you look at any of the scientific research on climate change, it's really, really alarming. Um, it, it, there, We've got until 2050 to absolutely stop using fossil fuel fuels. Um, that's uh, as long as we've got. That's not far off. No, I'll that'll go by in a blink I'll, I'll be dead. My life will never be completely harmed and ruined by climate change, but my grandkids will. Something's not done. So again, it's, it, we, ha we all have to wake up together, and I think people are getting to realize that. It, um, so if you've been a part of as many unfruitful political activist uh, actions as I have to see um, these ones actually take hold and grow and bloom is thrilling. Um, it really is thrilling. And, and we are watching a race. We're in a race against time. Fern. And, and it, it, it what? Oh, let me say this over to Fern real quick. Fern, Margo makes a really good point and she's coming at it from a very optimistic beat the clock. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people are getting activated and I know you lean a little bit more to the right than I do. Do you see it that way? That this is this, like this, uh, this mobilization is something that's far overdue and this is actually 
going to lead us in a direction we've never gone in before and the people are evolving and getting more progressive? Or do you think people are going to just lose interest and get squashed after the next news cycle? I think, as Margot said, it has become so big and bloomed so much that it's going to be hard to stop that ball because more and more people are not going on the soundbite mentality. See, that's what got us into the position that we're in. People have been looking at sound bites and they have been taking Facebook memes as talking points politically and not doing their research. And I kind of, you know, on the, on the topic of climate change, I, tr- I try to simplify it a little bit. I was like, okay, we've got the earth and let's just say 99% of the scientists are wrong. Let's just say it is 100% cyclical and 99% of the scientists are wrong. That's like saying, you know what, garbage is going to blow into my yard anyway, so why bother pick it up? You know what, neighbors, go ahead and dump your oh, garbage like on that. there because I might might have a bag blow into my yard anyway, so I might as well just let you dump on it. Now, this is something we should be taking care of. Non-renewable resources are just that, non-renewable resources. Why not put our money, instead of building a pipeline, into green energy, into perfecting a way to have renewable energy? It just makes logical sense. Even if you take the scientific aspect out of it, you still want to keep your yard clean. Let's keep our earth clean. Yeah, I couldn't agree right. more. Yeah, but- well stated. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let me end with this because we've only got a few minutes left. Let me start with Margo. Um, give me, as somebody who's out there on the ground fighting, give me the best case, worst case scenario of this Trump administration. Does he get removed? I had a theory back before he even got elected that if he got elected, he would be the first president impeached by his own party in history. Um, do you see him getting impeached? Do you see him peddling back? Or what do you think is the best case and the worst case scenario of where we're going to be in five years? I wish I had an answer. I uh, I usually shoot my mouth off being so sure I know what the end result of this or that is. But with this scenario, I have absolutely no idea. There were a lot of us going around for a year before the election, making speeches, explaining why Hillary Clinton could not win, and therefore we would end up with Donald Trump. And they fell on deaf ears. Um, So the predictions, I I, I can't make a prediction with this nutcase. Um, I don't know how much of the Republican Party is going to (laughs) stand up and go, wait a minute, you can't do that when they realize that their careers are on the line um, because he's done something so appalling that they will probably pay for it with their non-election next time. I have no idea. This most volatile, insane, (laughs) completely unpredictable situation we've been in. But again, it's not just Trump. It's not just Trump. It's a mindset. And the question becomes... How soon are we going to throw out the capitalist mindset that says money is more important than anyone? And one of the things about the glorious wonderfulness of Native Americans and First Nations people leading the environmental charge is that their cultures did not say uh, the acquisition of material things is more important than anything. It didn't think that way at all. It wasn't, it was not a value. so American capitalism, which is much more ferocious than other forms of capitalism, has, has, has it's got to be thrown out completely um, if we're to succeed. And that's the step um, that is going to happen uh, on its own. You know, the notion that we have to take care of each other. We have to have, some people call it a spiritual awakening. That's a word I feel uncomfortable with, so I say a moral awakening. We have to have what is happening right now before we have a chance um, a chance at, at success as a, as a, as a species, frankly. 
I wow. think people so are really. Bumpstick tickets? I don't know. The guy's out of his mind. Yeah, there's people no rely on that though. I mean, they they but, rely on that Trump mentality of, hey, I don't know what he's going to do next. Like, they, they look forward to being entertained instead of looking at him. I think a lot of people were entertained by him. It was like, yes, this is, yeah, I think it was a reality TV mentality. They were entertained by him at first, and they oh, defended him, defended yeah. him, and then they got stuck. And now they're like, oh, shit, this is really happening. It's like me getting on air with you well, today. Yeah. And Nick probably is like, oh, my God, this is really happening. Like, the realization hits, and you no longer... When, once you're surrounded and you think you've got your gun and you can take everybody out and you've got that cowboy mentality, once you are surrounded, it's like, oh, shit, now it's happening. So well, you know, he relies on that and relies on the, he relies I mean, on the Three I, Stooges I syndrome, a, too. He's yeah. the media. Weren't you surprised that he actually got elected? I was oh, in shock. Yeah. Shocked. I felt sick. I, yes. I was you know uh, what? upset I'll tell enough you. that it was going to be Hillary Clinton. And I was, in fact, driving back to my tent at Standing Rock hearing the news in the dark North Dakota night that the guy got erected, uh, elected. And I was just floored. I remember thinking, please don't let a North Dakota cop pull me over and in his exuberance over Trump nab me for something. Uh-huh. <laughs> you wow. know, it, it, I was really floored. So I was guilty as well as at first. In that first debate, I thought this is the most surreal entertainment ever presented on American television. Um, so, yeah, but you're right. We are now surrounded, and we are now obligated to do something. And what is amazing is people are doing it. That's what's wonderful. That's really wonderful, and it's infectious. It's deeply infectious, and you get to the step with political activism where you so clearly realize nothing no man is an island unto himself. Nothing happens without all of us being together and standing up as one. That way, that way we're threatening. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to become a, a human threat to, to the greed of the people who don't get the picture yet. Let me kind of ask an unrelated question. When you're out there doing activism, do you run across a lot of other people in the industry? Because I know Mark Rofflio is like really anti-fracking and really vocal about it. Do you have a chance to work with him on activist-type movements? And other no, we've been on a couple. Well, we've been on a couple actions together, a Keystone a pipeline uh, resistance thing where we encircled the White House. Um, I'm not in showbiz anymore. <laughs> it's not my world. I don't really have anything to do with many people who are in it, uh, except old friends who are true friends, not just colleagues. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not something I seek out. It's not something I feel a kinship with. I feel like what I do now as a retired person is I'm, an activist um, on, on behalf of my grandkids. Call it the most selfish attitude on earth, but that's what it is. I'm doing what I'm doing these days because of Maisie Kern and Charlie Kern, who I love more than anything on earth. So it's a very selfish uh, point of view, and I'm not going to stop. No, nor should you, because you're making a hell of an impact. And like I said, I see the articles all the time with you in there, and I think that it's great. I mean, you could be kicking back right now, just riding out the golden years, and saying, hey, not my problem. I'm checking out soon. The golden years are not very golden. I hate to break the news to you. Your body starts to fall apart. You hurt. You don't have nearly the energy. And if you wanted to add to them not being golden, you would lie around and do nothing. And then you would feel like a completely useless person and fall into a depression and just lie there waiting to die. So, so this is much true. more fun. <laughs> okay, much you- more fun on a very pra- just pragmatic level. It's much more enjoyable to be active than to be useless. 
Yeah, and I think we're definitely in the same mind frame with that. In the last couple of minutes we got left, tell everybody on the local level, what can they do? First of all, tell them it's possible, right? I think a lot of people don't get involved because they're like, I'm one little teeny raindrop in an ocean of corruption and power and money. But it is these movements start small and they grow to where they are now. So it is possible. What should everybody, what should every diligent um, citizen be doing right now, Margo? Well, first of all, you find out which issue, if you can separate them from each other, you're most passionate about. Um, whether it be the economy or climate change or social justice or gay rights or you name it, and then you find other people. And with Facebook, it's really easy who feel the same way. And you get together and you meet in your living room or you meet somewhere else and you all decide on some action that's going to target, in our country, generally politicians who are going to have to vote the way you want them to because otherwise they're not going to win. Um, so you target, you get together with other people who feel the same way, you make some kind of plan to do some sort of action, and you move forward. And then, then you're in the snowball effect. Then it takes on a life of its own. Right. So, for example, here in Montana, the Keystone Pipeline is going to go through Montana, and we have a governor and a senator, both Democrats, who support it, which is obscene and stupid. There's no jobs on this thing. There's no benefit to the United States in any way of having a Canadian pipeline put the most polluting form of oil through this country to go to Houston to be refined and then sent to China to be sold. There's no benefit to a single American from any pipeline. I don't understand what people aren't Canada. getting about that, Margo. What are people not I don't understand about either. That? I kept, the whole time I was in North Dakota, I kept saying, guys, this is a Canadian pipeline. This look at the size of the pipes. That's a thirty inch to thirty six inch diameter pipe. You don't use that kind of pipe to to move light sweet crude from the Bakken. That, that stuff has the texture of maple syrup but without the stickiness. You use that a pipe that big is what you need to move bitumen, this crappy, sandy, oily crud that comes from the tar sands. And it's not moved to be of any help to the United States. It's moved to be of help to the people who own parts of the pipeline, the oil companies uh, and the tar sands. Um, it, it, it's moved to be sold. I mean, there's nothing in it for anyone in the United States. I don't nope. get it. So what they were doing in North Dakota is keeping that right out of the media. I was writing letters to the uh, Bismarck, what was it called, Tribune or something? None of them were published, saying, guys, <laughs> wake up. This is not going to help North Dakota. But that's how the mainstream media, owned to a great extent by oil companies and a very rich man invested in oil companies, I suppose is a better way to put it, have convinced people that it's this all this moving of oil is good for Americans. Hogwash. All righty. Well, we got to end there, Margo. Kettle of Fish is coming up. I have to thank you a million times over. This has been an absolute delight. Right, Fernandy? I know you guys are elated. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation. It has been enlightening. It has been engaging. It has been informative. It has been intellectual. And it is definitely what I think we all desire. And it's just it's very, uh, very positive. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right, Margo. Thank you fun. very much. We will be okay. in touch. We definitely want to have you back because we didn't even really get the fanboy out as much as we wanted on the Superman stuff. <laughs> and we have so okay. much more to talk to you about. So I'll be in touch, Margo. Okay. Take care. Thank Bye. you. All right. We got two minutes left. D, 
I, if you can yes. get off cloud nine and back to earth, give us a rundown of what we got coming up in the next couple of weeks. Oh my goodness. Really, really, really. Actually, no, it's not the next couple of weeks. It's after that. Uh, the next couple of weeks we are off except for February 8th. We have Caleb Cunningham from project Lionheart. Um, and then we will be back on the 19th with Fiona Duraf, AKA Bart from Dirk Gently holistic detective agency which is a big mouthful in and of itself. Uh, then we're going to have our buddy Jasper Cole, who is also known as the bad guy on tons and tons of things. Uh, and then Todd Newton of Whammy and the Price is Right Roadshow. And then in March, we are planning our big Daryl Daryl and Larry reunion, like I did the backwards, um, our reunion show, and that's going to be so much fun. Uh, March will be a little unusual because... I also have our giant fundraising thing that um Yeah, you're putting job. your on air skills to good use working for a <laughs> good use working for a non profit now and putting together the bluegrass breakdown, right? Yes. It's gonna be it's gonna be huge. You're gonna love it. It's gonna be the best ever. <laughs> if you see pictures and it looks like there's two thousand people, it's actually two and a half million. Don't believe the pictures. It's That's gonna right. be the best breakdown in history. We are working on our biggest bluegrass breakdown of the year, um, and 100% of the profits slash proceeds, whatever, from our events goes straight to finding and training volunteers who um, who work with kids who have not had good situations. So it's you know. All righty. Well, let's get out of here because coming up, everybody, stick around for one of my favorite comedians, Lisa Best, coming up on Kettle of Fish. Hit it, D. <laughs>
Thank you.